talking all day, so I'm coughing into your microphone. I apologize. <laughs> We're going to have to start over. I told no! you if we cough. <laughs> everybody thank you so much for tuning back into notes from my improv notebook this is chel hernandez and i am so excited that you are listening to this podcast thank you uh, we actually have such an exciting podcast we have brian james o'connell on the podcast this week and i am so excited because his methodical approach to improv has garnered him a lot of success and this is just a sneak peek to what he has to offer if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe each new subscribe and review helps me get this podcast out to improvisers just like you. Bonus, I am actually teaching a workshop this Saturday at the San Diego Improv Festival. So if you'd like to come out, please, I am teaching the Your Play Your Way workshop at 2 p.m. on Saturday. For more information, please search San Diego Improv Festival, but I will have more information in the description. Without further ado, here is Brian James O'Connell. It's what we call Miles. Like he'll just sit there and on his back porch and and drink Bud Light and smoke cigarettes and just think about improv and like right. Um, I've created like I'd say probably like anywhere from forty to fifty individual exercises that I did for a long time. I would put challenges to myself. I mean, one time Miles was like. Uh, when we were starting doing Bunny Squad, he was like straight absurd bits, like he would call them bits. He was like, you guys need to be doing bits 20 to 25 times a week. It's the only way you get better at doing straight absurd game. He was like, at my height, I was doing 20 to 25 a day. And I was like, challenge accepted, old man. Wow. So I would find every opportunity to do stuff like that. Uh, like the, usually the, the one I tell in class is like, uh, I went to the Bank of America at Sunset and Vine for two and a half years straight and went to the same teller. It's lovely, our, our young Armenian woman by the name of Ava, and try to convince her that I went sailing once a month. I don't know dick about sailing. She sees my bank account. I am broke. I cannot afford sailing. I wasn't doing it in a creepy way. I wasn't like I wasn't trying to hit on her or anything like that. Her her uh, her boyfriend, I believe her, her boyfriend's name was Jose. <clears throat> like I found uh, trying to do stuff like that. I went to I went to iOS probably four to five times a week. For four to five hours a night and just watched improv and then miles told me he was like oh the way you get better is like watch the people that uh you enjoy watch the people you look up to but only watch them go to every like if if mike cohen is your guy go and watch every single show that mike cohen is in and only watch mike cohen up to and including when he's on the sidelines watch what they do when they're on when they're behind a flat, when they're behind a car, where the audience can't see them. How attentive are they? Are they ready to jump back in? Are they like whispering and saying jokes to other people? Are they just kind of like crossing their arms and like, whatever. <laughs> so you can learn that kind of stuff. And when you can replicate what they do, move on to the next person. That's why I can do an impression of just about everyone at iOS because I, I was always a pretty decent mimic growing up. And like, that's why I went towards guys like Robin Williams and George Carlin and all that that do impressions i've watched all of them like I, I can do a great karen gracchi i can do khaki crowley josh debose if, if there's if someone that was in ios between 2003 and probably like 2010 i've i've got them down cold wow yeah well i think that that brings up a good um a point of how do i 
attract the skills of someone that I admire. And by mm-hmm. watching them constantly, what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, did you ever, inst- uh, when you were mimicking them or watching them, could you then describe how they play? Is that something that you could oh, do? Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Like um, the people, the veterans that we look up to are just like us. They have their go-tos. They have their three or fours. Like I, I, I know what Dave Hill's go-tos are. <laughs> and that's not... That's not a diss. It's just the stuff that you get comfortable with and yeah. the things that you're like, oh, I love this character. I'm going to pull him out again. Yeah. Or this is like what my straight man looks like. So after a while of you watching them, it's great because it kind of demystifies them. Yeah. And it kind of makes it possible for you to imagine of being that good mm-hmm. with a with a rare exception. There's a couple of people I'm like, no, I'm, I'm never going to be on the same planet as that person. And then watching them, their go-tos. And then those go-tos have like two or three little small like physical or facial tics that you can kind of sort of replicate and then after a while you kind of put your own spin on them anyway so you're not ripping them off well you were the one who introduced to me because when i took classes Mm -hmm. with you at level two over ios it was the idea that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants yeah right Mm -hmm. and so this is a great way to i think i might have stolen that from robinson you probably did (laughs) (laughs) only because i've said that to other people and they're like i think someone else said that and i was like i don't know i heard it from brian yeah um but uh to to really just kind of take in how they play, to mm-hmm. be cognizant of how they play yeah. is really just kind of describing the things that you would like to aspire to. And if you mm-hmm. can name it, you can achieve it. Yeah. That's how I feel. I usually just use the Billy Merritt triangle because it's done very well and I can't think I would come up, I don't think I would come up with something better of it. Uh, Billy Merritt's a UCB improviser. He was on the Swarm back in the day in, uh, in New York and he's out here and does a bunch of stuff now. He said it's pirate robot ninja. Draw a triangle and put pirate robot ninja at each corner and then like write the number one. You're probably one of those. Mm-hmm. So you've talked about someone like Mike Cohen is very much a ninja. Khaki, I think, is the ultimate ninja. Uh, Dave Rosowski is uh, just like the idea of pirates are those type of people that just love to be on stage. They're your wild cards. The people that are just super funny, love playing big characters. They just want to put a knife in their teeth, swing on to the other ship, and just start hacking away. They're just <laughs> glad to be there. And then your robots are your people that usually have some sort of background in either like screenwriting or sketch or stand-up. They're not going to direct from within the scene, but they definitely need to have sort of like a print. Like, you and I are at a grocery store, and you're paying way too much for those pickles. Like, they need to have that sort of baseline so they can feel comfortable playing. And then, there's, there's, uh, then the ninjas are the ones that just always seem to be in the right place at the right time. They're the ones that will come out. Like, here's a good way to think of it. A ninja is the one that will come out and be the ottoman when someone on stage kicks up their feet as if they're, like, leaning back in a chair or, like, or like in a lazy boy. The pirate is the one when someone on stage goes, oh, we got a dead body here, and they fling themselves out to be the corpse, right? And it's just, like, and then it's a big, like, boom, right? Fall down. That's sort of the difference. And you can kind of see it like, so Cohen's, uh, Cohen's a pirate, uh, a ninja in that way. But Khaki is like sort of the ultimate ninja. Dave Rizowski is a Ronin. Just Dave is always Dave. <laughs> uh, Karen Gracchi is kind of, a, I, I would say she's uh, like, she's probably, a, you know, like a robot with like pirate tendencies because she can play big characters. It's funny because Nick, I started off as a pirate and probably Nick Armstrong started also started off as a pirate. And then I went towards Miles. I'm Miles Jr. So very robot with like some ninja tendencies and then uh nick is khaki jr and then so he went jts brown why i went decon so he like very ninja but like he's also got like some of those pirate tendencies coming back because mm-hmm. nick can just walk on a stage and make you laugh yeah he can well 
what's happening in here? <laughs> your true pirates are like your Betsy Sodaros, your Ben Cedars, your Jamie Moyers, your BJ Averalls. Just everything out of their mouth is funny. Like yeah. Jamie Moyer is just like, who wants some beef? And you're like, I didn't know I wanted a beef sandwich salesman here uh, in this White House scene, but I, I I'm love it. fucking glad these, they're here now. Yeah. And then, you know, then your robots are like usually yourself players, people that kind of always are themselves. Scott Gimple is a great example, the guy that runs The Walking Dead now, but he was an iOS guy for forever. And Scott is just very, always kind of himself. I couldn't help but notice. Uh, Alex Fernie, you talk about a great robot who's like, I love Fernie's straight man because Fernie is, in actuality, the smartest person in any room that he's in. He's just too polite to be a dick about it. And that's his straight person. So whenever you see him on stage... He was like, okay, I see that. Okay. But if I may, <laughs> if he's dealing with some weird person, and he is, he's the smartest dude in any room he's in. That's a great way to yeah. how Pirate, to... Pirate Robot Nimbin, uh, Billy Merritt. That's okay, a good way that's to a great down. way if you go watch improv and you're watching someone you admire to like kind of categorize them so that you could understand how to make those moves. Yeah, down. and there's sliding scales. You can yeah. be a piratish robot. You can be a robotic ninja. Right? Mm-hmm. Finding out sort of where you fit and then finding out where the people that you look up to fit and then you sort of find what the Venn diagram is is a great where they overlap yeah it's a great place to start yeah it is yeah because yeah, you really find out what you like about this art form by watching other people do the things that you like yeah and then you start incorporating those things into your play and then you start doing the things that you like all the time yeah uh, a good way to discover those new people because especially if you're sort of just at one school yeah. and you're kind of all in at that one a way to find those new people is to find is to listen to how other people talk about them and as soon as i do it you're gonna immediately understand it as is every improviser listening to this one here do this um name name an improviser you and i know a lot of the same people so just name an improviser that you look up to and i'll play the other person okay right. an improviser that i look up to i look up to karen grouchy oh my god karen grouchy oh my god i saw a show when you hear other people do the oh my god before they say that person's name yeah. <laughs> that that's an, and if you don't know who that person is go see their shows go see their shows go see their shows because if they if they if they elicit that type of response then they're in that wheelhouse that you want to look for you yeah. want to start with those people who are like the people are like oh, or the other one is like that one Oh, that guy's so good. Oh, it's, it's, it's unfair. Especially right? from veteran improvisers who've seen a lot of improv. Like, mm-hmm. if you elicit an emotional response based upon someone's name, it's just like, go see yeah. that person. Yeah, like another guy, like Ryan Gall is one of those guys. Like, Ryan Gall, super talented and great. And then I'll joke with Crowley. And I'll be like, oh, he's like, oh, with John Crowley from King 10. He'd be like, yeah, I went to audition over, uh, you know, Ocean Park. It was at 4 o'clock, like they always are. You know, Sam Monica, of course, I want to be here at 4 p.m. I was like, oh, how's the audition? He was like, oh, Ryan Gall was there. I'm not getting it. <laughs> like, oh, Ryan's here? I might as well just turn and walk out. And, and that's the same reason why, like, Heather and Miles is such a famous duo, but the Billy Miles is not a famous duo <laughs> for two reasons. Number one, that me and Miles doing a show together, that's just two miles, right? It's going to be good. But, like, he and I are just kind of doing the same thing, whereas Heather has, like, got that bouncy, rubbery energy. Yeah, she does. And that's why that show is so successful and famous. Heather just does everything I can do, but better. Yeah. So I've said many times, I'm like, I am so glad that her name is not Heath Campbell. Because if we were going, it would be like Ryan Gall and Crowley. If I walked into every audition and saw Heath Campbell there, that we were going out for the same roles, 
I'm screwed. I'm screwed. She is she is my sister, and I love her to death. But she does. I am not embarrassed to say that. Like she does everything I can do, just better. So as you just were getting better, better uh, you mm-hmm. were doing bits with people outside of the. Impossible I still space. do it. You every, still do it every time in a lift, and it helps you because it you reinforce the. It's practices. It's practices. You practice reinf- makes perfect. Okay. Yeah, a guitar player runs scales for eight hours a day to get more mm-hmm. ambidextrous. Uh, a basketball player will put a thousand jump shots up by himself alone in the gym. That's me doing those bits. I'm looking for every opportunity to do some type of improv in my day, whether it's a ten minute. Uh, solo exercise that I created myself to work mm-hmm. on a particular thing. Or if I'm in a lift, I'm trying to do realistic scenes. I'm trying to make a human connection. Not only is it, A, the right thing to do, because mm-hmm. that's a human being there. That's not a vending machine driver where you're just, you know, sometimes I see people get into lifts and act like they're putting money into a soda machine. Yeah, it's awkward, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, or they just immediately get on their phone. I'm like, that's a human being there. Try and relate. If they're not into it, then I'm like, okay, I'll go into my phone. Uh, but yeah, I usually start off like, hey, how's it going? How's your day been? Right? I'll try and do a realistic, grounded, truthful improv scene with them. Like, oh, what are you doing? And if there's if there's a good vibe there and all that, uh, we're talking about our day and what we're gonna do and when are you gonna, t- you know, you going, you just getting started or you've been going for a while. Make sure you gotta take that break, man. Get up, stretch your legs, and eventually I'll hit them with the, uh, what do you know? What do you do when you're not driving for lift? If you don't mind me asking. Hmm. And let's talk about who they are. It is not only better for me as a human being to to stay in that practice of making facial contact and treating people the way they want to be treated yeah. and treating them like human beings. If you just want to be selfish about it, it makes me better at improv because that's a whole other life of a character I get to play. Uh, but also it's giving me the reps of being me mm-hmm. so I can be more believably me on stage yeah. without being self-conscious well, about it. Well, if you're interested in the conversation you're having, that's going to be more fun for the audience who's watching too. Yeah. Because if you're invested, then mm-hmm. they're invested too. And I learn a ton of stuff. And every once in a while, if they're a little like wackadoo or crazy, great time to try out some alternate reality <laughs> scenes. I have, if I, could, if I convinced her I went sailing for two months, this 20 minutes in this lift, Ah, dude, I got you. Like, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I did a lot of construction. Like, I did some construction, but like, not a ton. But yeah. I know enough now to like to to make. If to I can take. convince that person, I can surely convince an improv audience. Yeah. During a two-minute scene. What an awesome way to just kind of practice your skills. Now, you said you created ten-minute uh, or like solo exercises. Five-minute exercises, ten minutes. Yeah, probably what, forty to fifty of them. How do you approach a solo exercise? Do you go, "This is the skill that I need. How can I approach it?" Then you do it, or what do you yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, uh, most people have at least three books on their shelves about a subject matter they know a ton about that is related to improv. They just don't think it. Mm. If anyone is into sports, you have done. I like. I, I played soccer from for thirteen years, from five to eighteen. You have Corvairs which is your, you know, uh, series of exercises of how to get better, like, with your touch, uh, with the inside of your foot, the outside of your foot, the top of your foot, you know, juggling, you know, to get better, like, that sort of things, core strength. You can do stuff like that to get better at particular things. So, like, because I was used to doing Corvairs with soccer, um, I would spin, and thank God Crowley would let me do it while he was, like, trying to close up at night. <laughs> I would stay. I would stand on stage at iOS after hours after all the shows were done, and Crowley had cleaned up everything and was just doing like inventory and restocking. I would do chair sets for an hour and a half by myself on the stage. I would literally just take a chair in my hand. Can I pick this chair up lightly enough that I'm not I'm not throwing it around, mm. but I'm also not scraping it around because if you scrape that chair as you if you sweep at it and then come out, pick up a chair and scrape it as you're saying your first line of dialogue. 
thank you for coming into my office, Stevens. I went, but if it sounds like yeah. your partner's not going to hear you that, can I do it with my left hand as well as I can do it with my right hand? Mm. Can I do both? And then I started getting into, like, this is the psychopath that I am. I started taking the heavy metal chairs mm-hmm. and doing it with those so that when it came time to do a show I, and the light balsa wood chairs, feels like nothing. And that's the same thing as guys in baseball being on the... Uh, being on the on deck circle, putting yeah. those like weights on their bats, so that when it was time for them, they would take the weight off. So when they're in the batter's uh, batter's box, bat didn't feel as heavy; it felt well, lighter. You're really just setting yourself up for success because the more practice you get doing these things, the better it'll be, and the more natural it'll feel. And it won't take you out of the zone. It won't mm-hmm. take your partner. It won't take the audience out. It's like basically this is how it's going to be done: the smooth motion. Yeah. So that's just a great way to look at yeah. it. Yeah. So if you know how to play an instrument, you're used to doing scales. You're mm-hmm. used to doing all that kind of stuff. Now you can make it fun for yourself because yeah. it's something something else that you're passionate about. I also did forensics in high school. Not a lot of people know about that. The National Forensic League. It's like debate. On one side, they have debate. Yeah, they call it in the Midwest. They call it forensics, but yes. like where I went to school, was speech and debate. Yeah, yeah, ours was NFL. Okay. But we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. So I did. I did the I did some Lincoln Douglas debate, but mostly I was on the events side. There was a debate side and the events side, so that was humorous interpretation, dramatic interpretation. Do you interpret? You would take a piece of literature or a play and you would cut it down to eight to ten minutes, and then you would do all the characters by yourself. Yeah, but just like you know, standing in one place, as as you know. So that is something that's been helpful for the improv to try out different characters. Like I'll set an alarm to go off once a minute, every minute for 10 minutes. So I just have to cycle through those characters and not think about it because we've moved on. Yeah. Some of this stuff too, I've learned from Miles. Like Miles gave me Cat Clock and a couple other games. And then once you figure out one, then you figure out the other. Uh, the one for me and the one I highly recommend to everybody, if you do an improv exercise, doesn't matter what improv exercise you do, even if it's just for five to 10 minutes. And I usually tell people don't go past 10 minutes because that's the law of diminishing returns. Mm-hmm. Do it right before you go to sleep, especially if you're super tired, especially if you've had a couple of cocktails. Mm-hmm. Do that improv exercise right before you go to bed. And when you fall asleep, your brain while you dream will run those improv exercises for you. Mm-hmm. So true. yeah, so once I figured out that I could like, do improv rehearsal by myself while I slept. I was like, oh, I'm lapping, you sons of bitches. I'm getting so much better. I'm getting four to six hours extra a night of improv. Yeah. Just well, any any leverage you can find. I mean, you're totally right because the way that our brain works, uh, we have four compartments in the top of our brain that until we go to sleep, it becomes like long-term memory and mm-hmm. everything you're thinking of works in your subconscious. So what yeah. a great way to kind of approach this art form and then you'll show up on stage and afterwards you'll be like where the hell did that come from <laughs> how do i know that um that's why khaki is so good that's why khaki is the ultimate ninja do you remember the uh, uh if i can uh, throw some love to khaki real quick yeah you remember that khaki used to do a show called my first time with khaki no he used to do that as an exercise in our class the last yeah. class he would take like someone from our class and yep. perform with them yeah he did a two-person show called my first time with khaki it was the exact same thing uh, someone he had never improvised with before, and he would never rehearse, and they wouldn't even talk about it. They wouldn't even warm up before the show. And that's how he did it. He was like, hey, everybody, this is Brian O'Connell. He's joining me. He's like, Brian, have we ever performed together before? We have not, Khaki. <laughs> have we rehearsed before the show? We have not, Khaki. Have we even spoken about what we were going to do? We have not, Khaki. <laughs> Can we get a suggestion, please? And so I did mine, and it was super fun and great, you know, like, because yeah. Khaki's a genius. That's why he does 10 million characters on Drunk History, because, like, <laughs> of course. Uh, and then Graham Douglas was going to do it, and he reached out to me. He said, man, I know you did first time with Khaki. I'm coming up next week. What? How, 
what do I do? How do I get ready for it? I don't know. I was like, dude, just lean back and just let him rock you to sleep like a baby. <laughs> I went and saw that show and it was great. It was fantastic. And I was talking to Graham afterwards in the bar and we were having a beer at iOS because the, the show was back in the, in the DCT. He goes, I was like, hey, man, really fun show tonight. He was like, yeah. Let me ask you something. You remember the scene where we were two mechanics in Portland, Oregon? And he called me Gus Van Zandt's brother. I said, yeah, it was a great scene. It was very funny. He was like, I know that Gus Van Zandt is from Portland. And I know that Gus Van Zandt has an older brother who runs a mechanic auto body shop. How the fuck does Khaki know that I know that? I was like, there you go. That's his genius. The man knows everything. So were you just like, how how did you know that I knew this incredibly obscure thing? And he just rolls with it. That's that's the genius that is khaki. Oh, yeah. Very fortunate, yeah. Mm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good question. I think every experience is a learning experience. I don't believe in good or bad improvisers. Mm -hmm. I really don't. There's yeah. improvisers and just more experienced improvisers. I found improv technically late. I didn't find it until it was 27. Mm -hmm. It is hard for me to justify or be okay with anyone saying like, Ugh. I don't like playing with Pete. He's a bad improviser. I'm like, Pete's been doing it for three years. It's not Pete's fault that he didn't discover it 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. He discovered it three years ago. Why don't you focus on the stuff that Pete does well? And more so, if you're such hot shit that you don't like, you think you're too good to play with Pete, why don't you prove it by trying to actually support and raise Pete's level of play up to your level versus just shitting on him and throwing yeah. him away. Most people usually don't have an answer for that. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> uh, but the thing that I always kind of go back towards as well, because uh, again, I was a guitar player and I was in bands for years, and so I had a subscription to Guitar World magazine I for a long time. Magazine. I love that magazine. That magazine was awesome. Amazing. You get tabs in the back and oh, everything. Oh, perfect. The best. <laughs> I had it for like, I think I had it for like over a dozen years, yeah. maybe, maybe even longer. Yeah. Uh, and I held them for a long, long time until finally they're like, you gotta go. I'm like, all right, I'm sorry. <laughs> And then I donated to them, and they were like, this is amazing. <laughs> there was an article uh, with Eddie Kramer, Jimi Hendrix's old, uh, uh, it was not, Bass I want to say tech drummer. Drummer. Uh No, oh, it was um, producer? Engineer, engineer. Not in, in, engineer. A lot of the stuff that Hendrix is famous for, like sound-wise, Eddie Kramer invented. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Jimmy would be like, I had a dream, and I want something that sounds purple. And it was Eddie's job <laughs> to like, all right, how do I translate that? <laughs> Uh, but there was, he tells a great story about uh, Hendrix used to go to small clubs in London and sit in the back and watch like a bar band or like a, like a cover band or like a shitty blues band or whatever. And every once in a while he would get busted. And so people would be like, oh my God, you're Jimi Hendrix. Like, yeah, yeah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, you, are you playing tonight? No, I'm just here to see the band. And they're like, really? This band? And then Hendrix would be like, yeah, you know, like, um, I would like maybe... Maybe the guitar player has just like a small moment of brilliance. Maybe it's 30 seconds. Maybe it's five seconds. Maybe he just plays a lick that he's never played before. And it's just a small moment of beauty. And maybe that'll inspire me to write a song. And Eddie Kramer was like, and that's how he wrote Spanish Castle Magic. And I was wow. like, you know what? 
if it's good enough for Hendrix, it's good for me. There was a long period too. You talk about like going and seeing like the people you look up to over and over again. Yeah, I had gotten to the point where I had seen too much good improv. That uh, especially after I started teaching for a long time, um, there was probably a good two year, two or three years. Let me be perfectly honest. Period where I would seek out. I went to way more class grad shows, um, mashups. I would go to see jams, not to play, just to watch the work. But I was there to look for that person that had that light bulb that went off or that little piece of beauty. And then that guy would inspire me to do another six months of improv. Yeah, what a great way to look at going to shows that, like, if you are experienced, to just look at it, to find those moments of, like, beauty and Mm -hmm. not just, like, shit on the whole thing in terms of, like, eh, it's just a class show, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like... No, one of those people could do something that you've never seen before and mm-hmm. really inspire you to continue on this path. What yeah. a cool. Thank you so much for bringing of course. that. That's also just smart from a professional standpoint. Yes. That's a great way to find people that you want to work with that are super talented before anyone else knows about them, mm-hmm. whether that you want to do an improv show with them or if you want to cast them in your next movie. I'm a feature film director. If I can find a guy that's the next that's the next Echo Kellum before anyone knows who he is mm-hmm. and I'm the one that gets to put him in my movie, when he's super famous, he's going to continue to want to work with me Yep. because he's loyal and grateful. But also, we're now friends and have a mutual respect for each other's art. Like, it's so weird when people will say, like, oh, you got to network in Hollywood. Network is not going to, like, you know, like, cocktail parties and drinks and trying to schmooze and, like, talk about, like you know what the numbers are for cbs this year like oh they're really down and like what did you read in variety this week it's like just being around other like-minded people who like and, to create yeah. yeah and not being too cool for school or too above too above or like if like i've been doing it for 15 years i help i co-found my own improv theater with a bunch of other people who are better than me mm-hmm. that's the whole point anytime we have a meeting with like the entire like with all the house teams or like that I'm the least talented and the least experienced person on stage. The, Sean Landry's been doing it longer than me. Dorf, Moneypenny, Sam Brown. Sam Brown had a show on television, for God's sake. So why is kids you know? I don't know. And I, you know, Heather Campbell, of course. I'd like to do that. And if those people are nice enough to like give me the Kevin Dorf pat on the shoulder, I should be going and watching these kids' shows. I should no. be watching this stuff. Every once in a while, randomly, I'll show up. We, uh, 7 o'clock here, we have like a student jam that's just for students and the house team members like coach them because we need, that's how you develop coaches. Yep. Right? Give them coaching opportunities. Every once in a while, I'll show up a couple minutes early. Every once in a while, I'll show up and just hop in and tell whoever's coaching that night, give me real notes. Oh, wow. Treat me like the re- any of the rest of these people. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You're always learning, and that's what's important about this art form. 100%. You always got to be learning. That was Brian James O'Connell. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. And he'll actually be back next week because we had a great conversation. There's so much more to talk about. You can find Brian James O'Connell at thepacktheater.com and also drgodcomedy.com. Dr. God is his main group that he performs every four Saturday out of the month at 9 p.m. at the Pack Theater. If you'd like to know more about Brian James O'Connell personally, you can go to itsboc.com. He is a director, writer. Please hire him for your projects. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you so much for those. I really appreciate them, and I'll see you next week.
I would stay. I would stand on stage at iOS after hours after all the shows were done, and Crowley had cleaned up everything and was just doing like inventory and restocking. I would do chair sets 